to More Living with Jim Brogan, your source of information for living the best years of your life, your way. For more than a decade, host Jim Brogan and his expert guests have come together each week to share important news and advice that can impact the lives and well-being of those who are retired and those nearing retirement. Learn about issues like health and fitness, financial planning, social security benefits, investment advice, and more. And now, here's the host of More Living, Jim Brogan. Good morning, East Tennessee, and welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. And I hope you had a great Valentine's Day, and the sun is out. For the first time in forever, it seems like, uh, yesterday afternoon. Uh, This is Heart Health Month, February, and we're the day after Valentine's Day. I think it's very appropriate to talk about our hearts. Um, We're going to talk about matters of the heart, both physical matters of the heart and spiritual matters of the heart. You know, your heart, you know, it keeps us alive in the blood pumping. Cardiovascular disease is still the number one killer in the United States of America. Um, it is an organ that gets neglected oftentimes and takes a beating when we don't take good care of ourselves. And then our spiritual heart is what connects us uh, with a higher being, with each other. And, you know, rates of depression are way, way up in America. Uh, it's a very, very big concern. So we're going to talk, dive in kind of to both of these issues. Now, later in the show, the second half of the show, we've got Dr. William Lane Craig. He's one of the great Christian defenders of the faith of the last 50 years, really, of our generation. And he's going to be speaking at the University of Tennessee this Friday night. And we're going to talk to him. Uh, but in this first half of the show, I'm pleased to welcome an old dear friend of mine uh, from University Cardiology, Dr. Russell Huntsinger. Doctor, good to have you. Welcome to More Living. Thanks for having me, Jim. And we actually knew each other growing up swimming. We swam and did summer swimming together here in the Knoxville League, Jakaiza. Yes. Right? Yes. And uh, interestingly... Uh, we talk about fitness and its effect on the heart. Swimming is such a great exercise, right? It is an excellent exercise. Um, you know, lifelong. You learn it as a kid and you can do that through the rest of your life. That's right. And we'll get into fitness and all those those kinds of things. But as I mentioned there in the opening there, uh, Russell, doctor, uh, excuse me, heart disease is the number one cause of death nationally. And it's also the number one cause of death in women, correct? correct. When we say heart disease, talk about all the different things that actually entails. I think most of the people, when we we say heart disease, we we talk about coronary artery disease or atherosclerosis or blockages, whatever you want, however you want to determine it. But that's that we're talking about heart attacks. Um, And I think that's what most people when we talk about heart disease, sort of identify with. Um, but there are other heart diseases that can cause death and problems, particularly um, atrial fibrillation and stroke that are, you know, up and coming as far as their numbers and and, and especially as people are living longer and um, identifying health problems more um, over time. So it seems like in America we're getting unhealth, we're getting less healthy. Not more healthy. I'm not sure what all the numbers say, but I know obesity rates are just at their highest they've ever been. And continue to increase even even with awareness and, and, and trying to education with children 
um, still increasing. What would you say are the top one or two things that contribute to cardiovascular disease being such a problem? Is it mainly obesity and all of the problems that come with that? That's that's a huge problem um, because obesity um, leads to diabetes, and diabetes is probably the you know that's the biggest risk factor for cardiovascular disease. Um, is diabetes. Um, diabetics have significantly increased risk for cardiovascular disease compared to any any other group of people. And then we also know diabetes is way up in, uh, like adult onset diabetes is starting to become a problem in our adolescents today, right? Yes, and that then that's where it's linked mainly to obesity. And I know that, uh, I mean, it makes sense that food would be a big part of this equation, but what about exercise? I mean, kids today... You know, when we were growing up, I mean, we got outside and played, right? And yeah. we were swimming and doing all kinds of the kids today. You know, they're just, there's a proclivity not to be as active. Well, and as the United States has changed, you know, over time to where rural agrarian economy, you're out working on the farm, being outside, working, you know, to sedentary lifestyle, to televisions, phones, video games, um, and that's trickled all the way down to our children. So how much is movement part of it? I mean, if is it more food-related, but then f- the movement is very important as well? Well, I, I think it's, it's a little bit of everything. I mean, you, you, you know, obviously people who are active and thin still get cardiovascular disease because their genes, what they've been passed along from their family are bad. So it's, it's but, but, we're doing this to ourselves yeah i mean you mentioned genetics but is it it's is it overwhelmingly more a lifestyle disease yes yes because all the things you know you you get diabetes more so from you know the the physical activity inactivity the obesity than just something that happens you know we're talking about the adult onset the the type one is more you know that's a different that we're talking about a different right we're talking about adult onset Right. So if, if uh, you know, if you're counseling a patient who is showing w- warning signs, maybe they're having hypertension or they're getting high blood pressure, and we're going to get into some of the next segment, I want to talk about some of the screening tools. But if you're seeing signs and there are some concerns, how does somebody go about improving their health? Can they reverse the course that they're on? Certainly. Um, you know, the, f- the first thing that I try to tell people to do is take a diet history. You know, right? Have you or your write down everything spouse you eat. write down what you eat for a week, and then put it aside and go back and look at it at the end of that week. I think you'll have a pretty good idea of what you need to be doing differently. And most of it, most of it is we eat too much of the wrong things. So you know, there's a lot. There's been some recent data to come out about red meat. You know, there's it's still sort of controversial, but certainly excess of anything is bad. So there's so much out there on diet. You know, there's a million different approaches. There's paleo. I mean, there's low fat. There's high carb. There's high fat. There's lean protein. There's eat any protein you want. Don't eat the carbs. There's, you know, the basic calorie restriction. What is the right answer here? You know, the... I don't. We we haven't really found the right answer necessarily. What what the right answer is is don't eat so much, you know, and don't eat so much of the wrong things. We eat too many fried foods. We stop at fast food for breakfast, lunch, and dinner now. 
You know, we're not having freshly prepared meals, fresh, you know, stuff from the grocery store. Um, so, yes, eating out's fine. There are good cho- And so if you do eat out, you need to make better choices. Um, find the places that, you know, don't. You know, everybody loves Chick-fil-A uh, fried chicken, but, you know, they do have yeah, grilled Chick-fil-A's options there. Good. Yeah, it is. But, you know, they, they <laughs> do have options there. So it, it, a lot of it is, you know, saying I'm, I'm not going to do this or if I'm going to do this, I'm not going to do this all the time. Well, your patients that have the most success... Is there any one? Is is there any consistency there in what they're doing diet wise? Is it is it mainly just moderation, or calorie restriction overall? I th- I think it, I think that's where you start with most people, and it's and it's also starting with their the people they live with, um, and everybody buying into healthy lifestyle, healthy eating, um, doing the right things. Um, it, you know, it's hard to do it when you're just out there, you know, by yourself. I think that's a great point because my wife and I, I mean, weight's always been a struggle with me and my wife and I on our journey, when one of us is kind of on, you know, doing things and the other's not really, I mean, it, it really is a hindrance when you're not kind of in, in lockstep and you're not unified in what you're really trying to accomplish. Right. And like you said, it's a journey. It's a, it's a progression. You know, this doesn't weight loss and changing attitudes and eating habits doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, um, and you can reverse some of this stuff. So if you start and you're you're getting on that journey and you're improving, your health is going to improve over time. And people are living longer. I mean, men and women's average lifespan now is up into the eighties. Um, so there there is time to reverse things and and make things better for yourself. Now, in terms of movement, for those that have not been moving much, you know, their couch, but uh, you know, they're sedentary in their jobs. They go home and they're exhausted, you know, and they crash, sit on the couch. What do you recommend to people to start getting started? I mean, they don't have to go out and, you know, run a half marathon. I no. mean, what do you recommend for somebody to get started moving more? I just tell people to, you know, walk walk to their mailbox, walk to the end of their driveway and back. How does that feel? If that feels good, then do it again. And then just keep doing it. You know, I've got some patients, they... They don't like going, you know, weather, things keep, they go up and down their stairs. I've got one lady, she's got a single level house. She walks back and forth to the hall, you know, morning, afternoon, and evening. Um, so you, you make what works for you. Not everybody can go to the gym. Not everybody can run a half marathon. But that doesn't mean that you can't have benefits. I mean, active, we know that an active lifestyle is better than an inactive lifestyle. That your quality of life, your quantity of life typically is better. And cumulative exercise, we know, actually adds up, right? Yes. So just parking further away at the grocery store. I mean, that taking one flight of stairs if you're on the second floor of an office building. I mean, we know that stuff now does add up and, and help. It does. Um, and so every little thing, and you do enough little things, that adds up to a lot of big things. Yeah. The, the, the key that... the the people, I think the thing people don't understand, though, is that that doesn't necessarily make you lose weight. You know, you're active rather than being inactive, but in order to lose weight and take weight off, you, you have to burn more calories than you're taking in. So it's, it's like... So ultimately, you have to probably eat less. You have to eat less, but then you also have to burn enough calories because, you know, the, the, it's stored in your fat, and the body only goes to that when, when, when it needs to. 
normal everyday things don't typically get to those fat stores to where you're burning those for using for energy. So you need to do things to uh, on top of that, you know, to to um, burn that extra energy that you've got in your body. I think sometimes all these diet programs make it way too complicated. It's really, um, and some people would argue it's you know there's more to it than calories in, calories out. But it seems like if you don't restrict how much is going in and the quality of what's going in, it's just not going to work. And I try to be simple because you know not everybody can do these different diets and things, and a lot of those aren't long lasting. Yeah, we really need a lot. It's lifestyle, not diet, right? It's I, yes, that's what I t- you know. It's lifestyle modifications. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I, when I have to counsel my patients, I definitely talk about lifestyle modifications. I'll tell you what, we're going to get to our first break. When we come back, we're going to get into screening things. You know, what's most important, like with your blood pressure? What about a calcium score? Um, Many of you don't know what that is. How important is that, uh, especially as you start to age more? What are some different other factors that can contribute to heart disease that you can do something about? So don't go away as we visit with Dr. Russell Hunsinger. He's with University Cardiology right here on More Living with Jim Brogan, only on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. listening to More Living with Jim Brogan. During the week, Jim is a financial advisor, an author and speaker with an MBA from the University of Tennessee who specializes in helping people in or near retirement plan for the next phase of their lives. You can reach Brogan Financial during the week at 865-862-6800 or on the web at broganfinancial.com. And now, here's Senior Market Advisor Magazine's 2011 National Advisor of the Year and host of More Living. Jim Brogan. Thanks for tuning in this morning to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm your host, Jim Brogan. We're visiting with Dr. Russell Hutsinger. We're talking about matters of the heart. And it's National Heart Month. And uh, he's with University Cardiology, and we're talking about the health of the heart. Now, at the bottom of the hour, for the last half of the show, we've got Dr. William Lane Craig calling us. Uh, He's going to be at the University of Tennessee on Friday, and he is one of the greatest Christian apologists, defenders of the faith uh, of our generation. And we're going to talk about spiritual matters of the heart, so you don't want to miss that. Now, um, Dr. Hunsinger, as we talk about the health of the heart, the physical health, you know, in terms of factors lifestyle factors and screening and staying on top of this stuff um i guess first off you mentioned obesity what are the other major lifestyle factors that contribute to heart disease i think of smoking excessive drinking um is that pretty much spot on are there other things lifestyle wise that really contribute that's spot on i mean especially smoking um that's a huge uh you know, negative for a lot of people, especially in this area. There's still a lot of people that 
use cigarettes and tobacco. Yeah, you know, when it comes to smoking, one of the things that's become more popular among especially men is cigar smoking, which, of course, you don't inhale when you smoke a cigar. And maybe there's a difference in occasional use and regular use. What would you say about as it relates to heart disease? I mean, I, I think we, we know that regular, consistent use is what mainly triggers that. Um, but I would I would advise, you know, trying not to, you know, rare occasion use of anything tobacco-related. Just yeah. because we know all the dangers that are associated with tobacco. Now, when it comes to screening, we all know about blood pressure and cholesterol and triglycerides. There's good cholesterol. There's bad cholesterol. Um, I mentioned there before the break something that I've done a couple of times in the last six or seven years, and it's called a calcium score. Uh, it seems to still not be real mainstream. And uh, But, you know, what is it? How predictive is it? How accurate is it? It seems like to me, from what I know, and from working with one of your other doctors there at University of Cardiology, my doctor, Jeff Johnson, it seems like it's a very, very good thing to run to know what your risk is of heart disease. Can you expand on that a little bit? So a, a, a calcium score, it's a, it's a f- quick CT scan that looks at calcium in your um, heart arteries. Um, now, what it can't do is look into the arteries and see if that's blocking the arteries. This is just, it's just looking for the presence or absence of calcium. And then that is taken, it is given a score, and then that is a risk factor. It's just like checking your blood pressure, you know, is it high or low? Checking your blood sugar, is it high or low? That's the same thing with the calcium score. Do you have calcium or not? And then how high is it? As you said, you get a number. So if you um, if you don't have calcium in there, does that mean you, you don't have any blockage? That. Well, it doesn't mean you have any calcium, and that's typically associated with hard plaque or atherosclerosis. So it doesn't. So the, part of the reason it hasn't become mainstream is is that it can't necessarily predict whether you're going to have a heart attack or not, because heart attacks can still happen with what we call soft plaques, which the calcium score can't doesn't pick up. Um, so that, as far as that goes, apart predicting heart attacks. It's, it's not a great test, but as far as when you're trying to figure out, well, what is my risk and what can I do to further um, narrow down what my risk factors are and what I can do about those things, I use it a lot in people who don't want to take cholesterol, who their cholesterol's up or they have other risk factors, um, and they're, not, they're undecided about taking medications. They haven't been able to do things with lifestyle. Um, I'll a lot of times get a calcium score. And let that sort of break the tie. Um, if your calcium score is up, then I've found that a lot of people then will, will get more serious about their health, their lifestyle changes, and, and take the medications when indicated. So when it comes, let's get on to medications there. Oh, I do want to mention the University of Tennessee will do a calcium. A lot of insurance companies don't really that, cover it. So they'll do it for, reason. what, $99? UT will do a calcium, a CT scan. Yes, and they're having a HeartWise event next Saturday at the Heart-Lung Vascular Institute on the UT Medical Center campus um, where you can have that done for $99 and have other screenings as well for free. Okay, HeartWise, and that's uh, Saturday, February 22nd. Yes. Okay, at the the Heart-Lung Institute there on Alcohol Highway at the University of Tennessee. Yes. Okay, that's great information. Um. Let's see, where was I going to go? I guess blood... Oh, I was going to ask about the cholesterol, uh, the the medicines, the medications. 
So when somebody starts to see things elevate, um, maybe a little bit of hypertension, or maybe it's just cholesterol. You know, when it comes to mild blood pressure medications and statin drugs for cholesterol, you know, how dangerous are these or side effects of these to take them for, you know, basically you go on a cholesterol pill and you're on it for the rest of your life? Well, you should, you should always be taking these in conjunction with your with your physician because they're going to know your whole medical history. They're going to know what your risk, you know, they're, they're going to have done a complete assessment of what your risk is. So, and I like to use, you know, when your risk is high, these medicines are outstanding. And taking them long term, these medicines have been studied, you know, for a long time, have been shown, especially if you have high risk, to significantly reduce your risk for cardiovascular disease over decades um, and, can, and that risk that risk reduction continues with very low levels of harm now someone who doesn't have any risk obviously the risk benefit ratio is smaller and that that may not be appropriate for that patient so these always should be taken in conjunction with your doctor knowing your numbers um, knowing what your targets are your goals are for the medication use um, not everybody needs the highest dose, highest intensity statin. Now, if you've already got cardiovascular disease, you do. But if you don't, you're just you're just trying to you know prevent disease. Then you may not need the the highest dose, high intensity medications for blood pressure then, or cholesterol. Now, and when what I've found is, I just think it's important when in doubt. If you have ever any, if you're ever in doubt of something, go see a doctor. Go see your doctor. If you if you have something that feels a little funny, don't err on the side of doing nothing. And men typically we sometimes do that. Yes, you know, I mean you just never know. I mean men men are stoic and don't want to go. Women have atypical symptoms and don't recognize necessarily that it's their hearts having a problem. Um, that's a lot of why women. It's a it's a big killer in women that they don't recognize that they've actually got a heart problem. Well, that was one thing that I wanted to ask. Kind of the last thing here in closing is, you know, we know of things like you know, if our chest tightens, we have pain in the arms, nausea, shortness of breath, cold, sweats. But what are some other symptoms that we may not recognize, like what you're talking about with women? That hey, we might need to get looked at. Women in particular have way more shortness of breath. Um, so short, mainly, you know, shortness of breath with exertion, um, more so than chest pain or chest discomfort that men have. Another big symptom is fatigue that, hey, I used to do this. Um, and it's not sort of this gradual aging sort of fatigue. It's, it's, hmm, last week, Last month, I was able to do this, and now I'm I'm struggling. This doesn't quite feel quite right. You know, something's not right. I, I hear that all the time. Something just wasn't right. And those are the people that generally they're in tune with their body. They get in quicker. They get evaluated. You know, not you know may not always be their heart, but certainly that that's something that has to be looked into. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Russell Hunsinger from University Cardiology, thanks so much for being with us. One final question: As we finish up this segment on the physical heart. What's the most important thing that you want people to know about heart health? See your doctor regularly and know your numbers. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> There's a reason we need to be screening for that stuff, Yes. Right? If you don't know, you can't do anything about it. And we have things that can be done about it. You can do, the patients can do things, the doctors can help them. If you don't know about them, then you can't do anything about them. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us today. Jim, thanks for having me. It's great to have you. That's Dr. Russell Hunsinger. He's with University Cardiology uh, over there at the UT Hospital. He mentioned the uh, the health fair that they're having uh, next Saturday, February 22nd at University of Tennessee Medical Center at the Heart and Lung Institute. Now, when we come back, we're going to shift gears and talk about the spiritual heart. We've, doc- doc- we've got Dr. William Lane Craig on the line with us, and uh, he is one of the great Christian apologists and authors uh, of the last 50 years, really. He is, uh, his ministry, Reasonable Faith. He also wrote the book, Reasonable Faith, along with about 30 other books. And we're going to talk to him about our, our spiritual heart. So don't go away as you listen to More Living with Jim Brogan, right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Standing in the rain, with his head hung low. Couldn't get a ticket, it was a sold out show. Heard the roar of the crowd He could picture the scene Put his ear to the wall Then like a distant scream He heard one guitar Just blew him away He saw stars in his eyes And the very next day Bought a beat up six string In a second hand store his weekly radio show, television news appearances, and adult education classes taught at the University of Tennessee and Pellissippi State Community College, Jim taps into his extensive knowledge and experience to address issues important to living your best retirement. Join Jim every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. here on Newstalk 98.7 WOKI and visit him online at broganfinancial.com. And now, here's the host of More Living, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. You're listening to News Talk 98.7 WOKI. And as we talk about matters of the heart, I want to get into the spiritual heart. And, you know, our general satisfaction and fulfillment and all of those things. And I'm very honored to have Dr. William Lane Craig. Uh, Dr. Craig is the author of the book Reasonable Faith, uh, also the ministry by that name. He's written over 30 books. Uh, He's a research professor of philosophy at Talbot School of Theology, and he's a professor of philosophy at Houston Baptist University. He's also going to be at the University of Tennessee Friday night speaking. We'll talk about that, too. Without further ado, good morning, Dr. Craig. Welcome to More Living. Hello, Dr. Craig. Are you there? Okay, I believe we've lost Dr. Craig there. Uh, We're going to try to get him back. Um, so Dr. Craig is going to be speaking Friday night and it's going to be at the University of Tennessee. Um, and it's going to be in the James R. Cox Auditorium. I believe that's in their new university center, that beautiful new building that's, that's down there, uh, just off of Cumberland Avenue. And, uh, he'll be speaking and I think he's going to be speaking actually on atheism. Uh, and I think the name of the talk is Atheism Challenged. And uh, it's going to be very, very interesting as he kind of lays out a defense of the Christian faith. And uh, uh, I know I'm planning on being there. It's being hosted by a UT organization called Ratio Christi. And uh, it's going to it should be really, really good. Do we have uh, Dr. Craig back on the line? 
Yes, indeed, I am here. Oh, great. Welcome, Dr. Craig. Great to have you with us Thank this you. morning. Hey, let's kind of dive right in, Dr. Craig. First off, for, if you could for our listeners, you know, I get asked by people sometimes, what is apologetics? Can you answer that question for our listeners? Sure. Apologetics is giving a rational justification for the truths of the Christian worldview. Uh, or more generally, it's giving a rational justification for anything that you believe. But Christian apologetics would be giving a justification for a Christian worldview. So it's kind of a defense of the faith, if you will. Yes. So one thing I do want to ask you about is at the root or the foundation of Christian apologetics, uh, can you talk about the nature of how we debate and argue? Uh, you even talk about it in one of your books, uh, On Guard, about how we represent ourselves, uh, because sure. I think it's very, very important. A lot of times I hear Christians debating and, and getting argumentative with people that challenge them on their faith. Can you just touch a little bit on how we handle ourselves when we speak with people? Sure. I think that we always need to treat people uh, charitably and civilly, and turn the other cheek if they engage in personal attacks or insults, and focus instead on the issues. At, at the basis of Christian apologetics is the deep conviction that reality is rational, and that therefore through reason we can get at the truth about reality. And by focusing on truth and reason, we avoid these sort of personal arguments that are so ugly and divisive. So there's a gentleness and really a mutual respect anytime you're, you know, talking about these important matters. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, there's no need to get hot under the collar or get defensive or attack the other person personally. Instead, we engage in a reasonable, gentle, civil conversation about the deepest questions of life. Now, apologetics, Dr. Craig, uh, you know, it really focuses on the mind and how we look at things rationally and logically. Um, of course, our faith is such a personal heart type of a matter. And when it comes to our relationship with God and, and, and certainly our personal relationship with Christ, it's more heart-related. And so some people say, oh, that's all focused on the mind. Ultimately, for God to move in, some, in, in somebody's life, it has to be in the heart. What would you say to somebody like that and about, in your view, the importance of being able to defend the faith reasonably with logic? I would say that in an increasingly secular culture, it is vitally important to show people, especially university students, the Christian faith is not just a heart issue. It's not just emotional, but rather this is true. It is the way reality is, and there are good arguments and evidence in support of this. And once you're convinced that it's true, then you can give your heart without reservation to it. Um, faith is trusting in that which you have good reason to believe is true. And so the first step is uh, what reason is there to believe that it's true? And then the second step will be that step of trust or commitment. 
Yeah, I have found there's many people that, that just big thinkers, certainly people in the science and, and engineers and people, you know, you have to get through the mind and they have to be able to understand the rational side of it in order to then be able to open up, which is kind of what I'm hearing you say. Yes, I am saying that. And I think that this culture is especially prevalent among university students and university professors. And so as one who feels a special burden for that community, it's very important to focus on the rational side of Christian faith. Now, Dr. Craig, you know, people have, human beings have such a need to be accepted, to be approved, to be validated, certainly to be loved. And yet we live in a culture where in the United States of America, depression rates are seemingly at all-time highs. I don't have the numbers in front of me, uh, but certainly I believe they're at all-time highs. Um, People are searching. And can you just touch on the importance of faith on our hearts and our happiness and and, and the meaning of why we're even doing all this? I am convinced that the most important question that a person can ask in life is whether or not God exists. Because on an atheistic view, as uh, existentialist philosophers have so poignantly argued, life becomes absurd. That is to say, there is no ultimate meaning, there is no ultimate purpose, there is no ultimate value. No matter what you do, how you live, everything ends the same, namely in death, and ultimately the extinction of the human race and the death of the universe. So it is vitally important, I think, that we ask the question, is this universe, is this life all there is, or is there a transcendent reality who has created us for a purpose to know him and who is the basis of absolute value and uh, goodness? Man, that's a very powerful way to say that. Let's dive into some of the evidence a little bit and talk about some of the things that you hear and what I hear and what we all hear people in, in debating this. First, let's talk about science and God. And, you know, there's so many people that say, you know, science contradicts what we read in the Bible and what we hear. Um, of course, that's going a little deeper. That's, that's even going a little bit deeper than just science and God. But I believe the science record actually affirms God and even the biblical record. But can you talk a little bit about those that say there's too many contradictions that when I look at science, I just have a hard time getting to that there's a God and that it's a Christian God? Yes, I, I like the way you made the distinction between Uh, God and science, and the Bible and science. I don't see any conflict whatsoever between God and modern science. In fact, I think that in modern cosmology and physics, there are, as it were, signposts of transcendence pointing beyond the universe to its ground in a personal creator and designer of the universe. One of these signposts would be the absolute origin of the universe at a point in the finite past. Another would be the incredible fine-tuning of the universe for intelligent life. A third would be the applicability of mathematics to the physical world that enables modern science to function. I think in all of these ways, uh, a person with a scientific mindset will find uh, in God, a, a rational, 
belief about the way the world actually is. Well, the science record really does suggest that the, that there was a moment in time where the where uh, the world where the universe was created. Uh, you know, whether you call it the Big Bang or whatever, and if, if it you know anything that you know in the cosmological argument, anything that began to exist had to have a cause. And the universe began to exist, so there has to be a cause there. Uh, of course, it follows you know, logically. It does follow very logically. But now, then, can science be consistent with what the Bible says about our Christian God? I tell you what, I'm going to get to our to our break, and when we come back, Doctor Craig, I want to get into that, and also the idea of pain and suffering in the world, and what is the the history, the true history of what we know about Jesus. So please stay with us as we visit with Dr. William Lane Craig here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. for listening to More Living with Jim Brogan. If you miss any of today's show or want to listen to it again, visit broganfinancial.com where you can access the podcast and other educational materials to help you in your journey through retirement. And now, here's Senior Market Advisor Magazine's 2011 National Advisor of the Year and host of More Living, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Uh, by the way, my next college class, adult education, two-part class, Thrive Financially in Retirement. It's at Pellissippi State Community College in the heart of West Knoxville, Hardin Valley, March the 3rd and the 10th. Two two-hour sessions. I have seven main topics I cover. If you're retired or getting ready to retire, I'd love to see you there. You can go to PellissippiRetirementPlanning.com for more information. And uh, you can download a syllabus and click to register. Again, that's PellissippiRetirementPlanning.com, March 3rd and the 10th. We'd love to see you there. Um, we're visiting with Dr. William Lane Craig. We've been discussing matters of the heart. And as Dr. Craig said in that last segment, he said that the most single most important question you can ask yourself is, is, is there a God? And, uh, you know, we got higher and higher depression rates, people looking for, for, for fulfillment in their lives. And Dr. Craig, we mentioned science and God. What about science and the Bible? You know, is the Bible, in your view, infallible? And does the Bible point to complement science? So many people think science contradicts the Bible. Well, as I said before the break, I don't see any contradiction whatsoever between God and modern science. On the contrary, modern science supports belief in God. Now, when it comes to the Bible and modern science, that question is going to depend upon how you interpret the opening chapters of the book of Genesis. If you interpret them literally as a a scientific account of the origin of the world, then it's going to be in massive conflict with modern science because it says that the world was created in seven consecutive, uh, literal 24-hour days some six to 10,000 years ago. But I and many biblical interpreters do not think that we need to interpret the Genesis account with that kind of wooden literality. It isn't meant to be a scientific account of the origin of the world. Rather, it's a theological statement that God is the source of all physical reality, that he is the one who has brought it into being, 
and that the things that we see in the world, like the stars, the planets, the animals, and so forth, are not themselves gods or deities, but they're just creatures. They're just things that God has made and therefore not to be worshipped, that they have a ground in a transcendent creator and designer. And that is an enduring truth that uh, is in no way in conflict with modern science. Well, and I'll add, there's also a day-age view, that, that, of course, that the day sure. in that context was not a, a literal day, but was an age right. of time. There um, are many non-literal ways of construing the opening chapters of Genesis. One can think of... Uh, very many different ways. Yes, absolutely. Now, what about those that say, well, if we have an all-knowing, all-powerful God, how do you explain pain and suffering in the world? I don't think that we're under any sort of obligation to explain the reasons why any particular instance of suffering exists. Rather, the burden of proof is on the atheist to show that it's either impossible or improbable that God could have morally sufficient reasons for allowing that suffering to exist. And that is a burden of proof which no atheist has ever been able to bear. It it is so heavy. We're simply not in a position to make these kinds of probability judgments um, with any confidence. God's morally sufficient reason for allowing some instance of suffering might not emerge In our lifetimes, it might not emerge until hundreds of years from now, perhaps in another country. So given our finitude and our uh, limitedness in time and space, these kinds of probability judgments are just beyond us. And therefore, no atheist has ever been able to show that there's an incompatibility between God and the suffering in the world. Well, and one thing I want to add is God gave us, in my view, and I'm certainly not an expert on this, uh, on like you are on this, but, I mean, God gave us free will, and in our free will, you know, with what I believe in the Christian God, we, we became sinful, and that changed this whole world. That's absolutely right. I think that the moral evil in the world, the evil acts that people do, are not to be attributed to God but they're attributed to human being. And what God does is he allows human beings to exercise their free wills in ways that are contrary to what he would have them to do. And that's a measure of his respect for their autonomy and individuality that he gives them the freedom to do evil. Now, of course, that doesn't solve the problem of natural suffering, uh, earthquakes, epidemics, tsunamis, Uh, things of that sort. But I think that those are part of the context in which this human drama is being played out, and they are permitted by God with a view toward achieving his ultimate purposes in human history, which is to bring the maximum number of people freely of their own volition into the kingdom of God and a personal relationship with him. And I think it's not at all implausible that only in a world that's suffused with natural and moral evil that uh, such a goal would be reached. And, and, and I'm almost out of time here, Dr. Craig. I've got to get to the, maybe the most important part is 
you know, the most influential man that's ever existed in the history of, 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 of our earth, and that's Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. Yes. Um, yes. So quickly, and unfortunately, we should have probably spent the whole time talking about that, and all really at the, at the heart of it, C.S. Lewis says, mere Christianity. Who was he? What did he say? What did he do? And can we depend reliably on the written record of all those things? Yes. My talk at the University of Tennessee on Friday night is on why you should change your mind about Jesus. And I'm going to be trying to show unbelieving or secular students that there are quite good historical grounds for believing that Jesus uh, believed himself to be the uh, long-promised Jewish Messiah, the Son of God in a unique sense, and the divine human Son of Man, and that God has ratified those radical personal claims by raising him from the dead. Yes, and um, you're going to be outlining the case for that, right? And the biblical exactly. record and, and how, how accurate the data is. What the fact, you know, a lot of people aren't aware there were over 500 witnesses that witnessed him after his tomb became empty. I mean, I guess you're going to be getting and laying out the entire case for that. Well, not the entire case. That would take a whole semester. I mean, I teach on this, but in the course of the one evening, I hope to outline at least the historical case for the resurrection of Jesus and especially the facts of the discovery of his empty tomb, his post-mortem appearances to various individuals and groups, and the transformation in the lives of the earliest disciples. Facts which are acknowledged by the majority of historical scholars today and which I think are best explained by the hypothesis that God raised him from the dead. Dr. William Lane Craig, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, we look forward to seeing you Friday night. Thank you, Jim. Hope to see you there. Absolutely. That's Dr. William Lane Craig. He'll be at University of Tennessee James R. Cox Auditorium. You can go to Facebook and search Atheism Challenged for more details. You've been listening to More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Have a blessed weekend. The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.